Stand by for a start. Racing. At $210,000 at Isella Done. Well done. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shortlist, the official podcast of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents Australia. This podcast is brought to you as always by our fantastic sponsors, IRT and Stable Financial. Joining me today to discuss one of the best pound-for-pound farms in Australia is Suman Hedge from Suman Hedge Bloodstock and Scott Holcomb, stud manager at that farm in question, Milburn Creek Stud. Gentlemen, hello to you both. Welcome. Thank you. How are you going, Nicky? Going very well, thank you. It's, you know, the yearling sale season's often charging, isn't it? You know, we're right in the middle of it all. Um, what have you made of of the sales season so far? I think from my point of view, as as much as there's positivity and there's strong sales and, and strong numbers amongst top lots, I think averages and medians seems to have plateaued a little bit. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think um, that's that's a fairly reasonable assessment. Um, uh, up on the coast, uh, it was a pretty strong sale. Um, it was certainly competitive. Everything that we were trying to buy, there was there was a lot of competition there. But I think if you have a look at some of the other sales, um, you know, in New Zealand and, and what's likely to come um, through the year, then there has been a, a bit of a correction issue, which is something that we all anticipated. And um, it's it's just part of life, you know. We've we've had these before, and we'll no doubt bounce back, and and things will get stronger again in the future. It's interesting watching, I guess, the media coverage around yearling sales at the moment. You know, million-dollar lots, you know, they all charge into the big seven-figure results. And I think it creates a bit of a false um, picture of what's actually happening if we just focus on those big money lots. I think what we're telling the public or the racing public that follow those media platforms is that uh, everything is awesome and there's, there's no soft spot in the market. Scott, do you think that's reasonable? Look, we, we know for sure that the lower end is going to be harder. And, you know, if you stick to your types, uh, your types and your, and your sort of young mares uh, by the right stallion, you will get rewarded. But there is a, there, you know, there is a weak spot and there's no doubt that the lower end is going to be tough. And it's followed that all around the world. The other tough aspect, I guess, from a time point of view, Suman, when it comes to, to agents and also farms as well, uh, are the inspection dates, you know, sort of gone are the days when you'd hit the sales three or four days before the sales due to begin and you'd, you'd crunch through all the inspections. Now there seems to be a trend of, of pushing onto farms uh, much earlier, you know, a month or, or more before the sales. Um, what's what's driving that? Well, I think it's uh, it's a combination of factors that are driving it. Um, I think one is the, the sheer volume and the size of um, the catalogues, the you know, Magic Millions catalogue. It's a thousand horses. Um, it's a lot to, to have to get through. And uh, the classic sale, I think there's 800 odds. So um, certainly for the Magic Millions, there's a lot of pre-parading uh, that went on. And um, it is quite problematic, I think. Um, it's something that we've raised quite a bit at the um, FBAA meetings and um, that the impact that these pre-parades have um, on other members within our community, which is the farms. Um, you know, the, 
December is a difficult time uh, for a lot of organisations. You're managing Christmas and New Year's and holidays and staff are away and often um, busy farms are still doing foalings, they're still mating mares, they're still uh, doing parades and, and doing the parades over and above doing preparations. Um, it's quite, I, I actually think that it's uh, not, not helpful um, in a lot of ways because it's a bit of a copycat industry and some people have started doing this several years ago and, um, and then people see them doing it and then they think, well, we need to do that as well. But I would argue that you're no better at selecting horses that you've seen in December uh, versus people who look at them with fresh eyes in January. Um, but I know that for, um, for Scott and for the other people that we work in with and hold dear to us, that um, it puts a lot of pressure on those businesses and they, they don't complain, they, they provide the service, um, which is um, wonderful of them to do. But I think it's a little bit unreasonable from us and perhaps it needs to be looked at and people need to be a little bit more um, fairer. Let's talk about the, the farm or the business in question that we're here to talk about, Milburn Creek. And I think it's fair to say that the business is probably one of the most revered uh, thoroughbred breeding businesses in Australia and you know, producing horses like Cool uh, and Gatter and Once Were Wild and Sizzling, and got very, very high quality horses. Uh, John and Trish Muir's uh, baby, the Milburn Creek brand. Scott, you've been with the business since 2013. Uh, Give us a, a brief snapshot as to Milburn Creek and, and what uh, what the farm stands for and what you're trying to achieve. Well, it probably uh, when I joined the farm, it was obviously private, so that was it was you know much quieter. John was still running the car yard, so probably that took a lot of his time up. And when I joined, uh, I had clients of my own, and, and mainly that was Mackayby. You know, we used to do interstate stuff, so. That was sort of a, a reason why we started taking clients initially, and also, as I said, John, John hadn't hadn't clients before, hadn't really asked for clients, so that sort of sort of started off then and grew, uh, and then we've you know, we added more land, uh, added more infrastructure, uh, and he got used to having clients, probably enjoyed them, uh, and obviously it's grown, you know, quite considerably since then. Uh, and he's, he now enjoys the people he has as, as clients, but also they certainly assist in, in um, the big results. And we've got a really strong uh, band of mares on the farm, so it all sort of marries and, you know, so it's, it's quite a, a good fit. It can be a bit of a lonely game, horse breeding, can't it? You know, when you think about that, it, it can be quite insular depending on how, how much advice you want to take from outside or, in John's case, how many, how many outside mares and horses you want to take onto your farm. Yeah, look, uh, there, there's not many people like John Miram. He's, he's incredibly passionate about the industry, uh, but takes the hard knocks like I've never seen anyone. Uh, you know, you can tell him a, a, it's been a bad day and this is how it's going to go, and, and he just bounces. But, uh, you know, he, he's incredibly passionate. Um, I've never seen an owner sit in an office all day on a new catalogue, a new broodmare catalogue, comes out. He, you know, he, he, he's quite amazing. But both the viewers. They're incredibly passionate about their farm and obviously their people on the farm. So it's, uh, it's uh, they certainly enjoy people to be around. Suman, when did you get involved with Milburn Creek and how did that come about? 
It was actually through a weanling that I had purchased uh, with Luke Wilkinson. Uh, we bought it privately and um, we were referred to, uh, to Scott and um, spoke to him and really we're not confident that we'd be able to get on the farm because it's such a beautiful farm and it's a, it's a farm that's got a huge name in the industry and uh, they're kind enough um, to take the horse and um, we, we got a very good result from, from that pin hook and developed a friendship and um, found it very easy to work with each other and just from there we've grown uh, and I've had my horses on there and then brought Sharif Iskander onto the farm and and he's, he's been fairly active in the market buying um, high quality broodmares and, and we've also pinhooked quite successfully too um, between Milburn and myself and my group. So it's just worked very cohesively and importantly for me, um, I've been able to learn a, an enormous amount uh, about the industry, about um, the different sides of the industry that I wasn't au fait with and um, learn the right way to do things. So. Um, it's um, something that I was very, very fortunate and um, we've, we've benefited a lot from. When it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds, look no further than IRT, the world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK and the USA. Their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion. Adam Timms here. Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started and we enjoy some incredible long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers and syndicators are getting Group 1 business and tax advice. Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at the stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying about it. Personality and professionalism are obviously key parts of any good partnership, but I think you hit on a really good point. It's that ability to share information, particularly uh, when it comes to, to breeding and pinhooking horses, that that willingness to uh, to talk about how things are happening and how they're going to get done and how people work together and how they how they like to work themselves that's that's such an important part of a, a healthy relationship in the thoroughbred industry yeah it is and i think we've got a part of um i guess managing owners um is setting expectations and setting culture and we're always both scott and myself really transparent with our clients and the people that we work for um, and so it, there's not as many variables when that's the case so when things do go wrong and in horses they often go pear-shaped we've got the right coping skills with it to, to deal with the client and and to manage through that so um, that's been very good as well what do you think the biggest lessons that you've both learned or the, the biggest learnings could be a, another way to put it that you've both learned since working together um, I couldn't tell you how much I've learned from Scott because um, it's from every facet of the industry, from understanding weanlings. Um, I had very little knowledge before uh, I started. We were fortunate to buy a nice horse, Lucky and I, with the Ribbon Tycoon, but my knowledge was very limited. And just going around the farms and seeing young horses, and he's obviously responsible for the development of those 
from birth all the way through to the sale. Um, that's expedited my knowledge um, enormously and broodmares as well. Um, I like to think now I'm a reasonable judge of broodmares. Before I met Scott, I didn't know. Like I, I was very, very uh, a general knowledge of, of that. So um, that's helped. I think, you know, from my point of view, it's more of a commercial understanding that I've had and, and of buying yearlings. That was where the two areas where I focused. And um, But, yeah, all those other parts I've learned from him. Scott, what about you? Oh, look, uh, as far as uh, foals, I mean, probably the, the biggest help I had was rearing volume when I was at Woodlands. So we obviously, you know, when uh, I was at Woodlands for nearly 11 years when um, we obviously our numbers were vast. But I think uh, we were pretty pretty ahead of our time at Woodlands. So you're seeing, you know, you're rearing 200 horses, so you're seeing, seeing every day the problems that you need to see. And it was all before x-rays. You got you, you sort of learned to identify a problem before a vet's telling you what the problem is. So that was that would have been you know uh, gave me a big sort of leg up back in the days of England. And what about working for for John and you know his mentorship or his his thoughts around the business? Uh, give us a bit of an insight into that relationship. Oh look, we, we look we get on we certainly get on very well. Um, we're very open. Uh, there's, you know, there's no hidden, hidden sort of um, thoughts. Uh, John, John, when he was uh, on the breeders, I mean, he obviously was uh, quite ahead of his time. You know, he was very passionate about uh, life. I'll guarantee that was a part of his baby. You know, when he brought that into into play, and and he's he's so passionate. He's just he's incredibly passionate, but also lets you get on with your job. Uh, and he doesn't uh, obviously he doesn't like to have to make the hard decisions of, of running the business, but and lets you get on with with uh, your job and making a decision that's a hard one. Uh, but he's also he backs you up. I mean, he, when when things go wrong, you, you, there's never any question. He's, he, in that way, it's it's um, why I think it's been so successful. So for somebody like John, who's been at it for so long now. Um, it's far from his first rodeo. What what drives him today? Is it is it simply that passion and that want to keep breeding the best horses possible? I don't think there'd be a person in Australia that, that's any more passionate about the industry. He, mm. he loves he loves being around. Like uh, on the farm at home, he'll come out and have morning tea with all the crew. So he loves being around horse people at the sales. He'll be here every day, and he loves he loves being involved in the industry, but. Incredible for for you know for a guy of his age who's now retired out of the car business, he's always looking tomorrow. What you know, you don't have to you don't have to twist his arm to get on a plane to go to America and buy a new man. You go over there with a plan to buy one, he'll buy three. I guess it's a it's sort of a case you know you go back and you look back at what he's done previously. You produce a horse like Secret Admirer, uh, you know you can do it once. So you, you, it's it's almost. It's the bug we're all bitten by, isn't it, in this industry? You do it once, you have a little bit of success, and that's the benchmark. But at least you think to yourself, well, I've done it before. That means I should be able to do it again. Yeah, look, the, the, the thing with, with John is, is like when you're, when you're trying to set a program out for the next 12 months, he spends an awful lot of time doing He does all the matings, and then we'll put a line through the physical part of it. Um, but he'll let you 
completely rule out a mating for the right reasons. And that, that is why I think the two of us have been so successful because he will, he will listen to you. Where so many owners, you have, to, you have to battle to get your point across. Where uh, he just goes with it. You know, if, you, if, you, if it's a valid reason why you're selling this horse at a certain sale, bang, he'll go with it. And then that's why we get on so well. I've got to say, too, as a client, um, you know, when you're dealing with people like him of his ilk and a farm like that, often when you you find people like that, they're quite arrogant and uh, they can be very autocratic and um, difficult to deal with. He's just the easiest person in the world. And from the moment that we had horses with him, he just said, you're part of the family. And every time I go to a sale, and he'll take us out to dinner or something like that with Trish. And he's like, Suman, you're part of the family. You're part of our family. And that you really feel like that. It's genuine and um, it's you just don't want to let go of it, you know. Like So we, we're, we're so grateful that we've been a part of it and we've been able to have a lot of success with them um, through the journey. Yeah. Yep. Milburn Creek's very much a, a boutique operation. Now, boutique in racing means different things to different people. Just ask. Peter Moody, who's, I don't think he can claim that his business is boutique anymore, given the size of it. But anyway, uh, such as his want. Uh, but Milburn Creek certainly is. There's not an enormous amount of mares on the property. Uh, how many brood mares does Milburn Creek run? So we're currently, at, we're, there's about 58 mares on the farm uh, and it works out about um, around the 60% are John and the rest are clients. We will... We will cut cut some of that mare's numbers down. We'd like to sort of get it back to 50. Uh, and a part of that reason is the staff issues that we're now all facing. So that that is a big part of why we're trying to make it manageable. We don't want to lose what we do well, but the, the, staff, the staff issue is quite large. Just talk us through that a little bit. I think people would hear, you know, 50, 60 horses. Oh, how, how many... What does that mean, staff-wise? How, how many staff do you actually need to run an operation like that at 50 or 60 horses? So, I mean, they're, they're the mares. So, obviously, that you know, what you produce. So, you know, we, we would be weaning about 40 um, babies. And then, obviously, we do uh, four sales a year. And probably the, the biggest challenge now is, as opposed to, let's say, 10 years ago, is, is the amount of, the amount of uh, procedures that a horse requires to get it A grade to a sale and your know, scoping, re-X-raying, the work you have to do, the on-farm parades. And then as opposed to what we used to do is we really have to manage the staff um, uh, time off. Where in the old days, we all used just to grind away and away we go. Where the, the, the new age is, is far harder to run than, than previously. And that w is WLB, work-life balance. That seems to be uh, the mantra at the moment, doesn't it? And I think it's a it's a huge challenge for for the industry. Not, and we hear a lot about it with training businesses, but the breeding side of things, it's just as acute. Yeah, and I think I think we all, as far as when when you're running a, a property that has to run twenty four seven, I know that the trainers do the same, but we have animals that actually fall. So, you know, that's a whole different... And then as far as our property, we don't stand stallion, so we, we, we have to walk all our mares out. We'll, the trucks have to, you know, have drivers and, and the farm has to be catered for as far as someone capable of bowling a mare. And, you know, we're, we're losing some really good people 
from our industry. Um, you know, every year we get some people decide, you know what, we can't do this anymore. We, we, we have to get out, we have to do something. Um, we worked very closely with Rushton Park um, over the last couple of years and um, they have, they've built a very successful business and um, they've sold their farm and they're looking to downsize and just because the same problems, they had challenges with staffing and, um, you know, they just couldn't cope and it's, it's a real problem and I don't think that we, as an industry, we're, we're very flippant about it. We sort of tend to look at the end product, which is the races, and we analyse races very heavily, but we don't look at the whole production that, that gets to that. And the breeding side of it is paramount to that. And if we ignore um, our people telling us that this is too hard, this is not working, we're under strain here, we're, we're, our businesses are under pressure, you know, I think it's negligent. So I, I really think that as an industry, we, we, we need to really try to act on this and try to assist as much as we can and talk about it and see what, what can be done to, to ease that burden. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Adam Timms here. Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started, and we enjoy some incredible long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers and syndicators are getting Group 1 business and tax advice. Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at the stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying about it. When it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds, look no further than IRT the world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK and the USA. Their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion. The other, the other factor that's made business different or at least change the way I think a lot of farms thinking about uh, business at the moment are the, you know, the continued growth of those big, big farms, those big racing businesses, your Yulongs and Coolmalls and the like. When you're operating a, a boutique operation and you're, you're trying to acquire quality mares, probably not in great volume, but still you're in the market all the same. What has the presence of a Yulong meant for Milburn Creek when it comes to acquisition? How creative do you have to get? Look, I think I think for for our for our business certainly it to be honest, it hasn't affected what we do. We we still you know, we still go to America, we still buy the we're still getting the animals we want. We we bought two mares out of France this year. So for us it hasn't affected what we do, but we're not getting into battle with the eight hundred thousand plus mares for that. That, and I don't foresee in the future that that's going to cause us any headaches. We just have to work, maybe work a bit harder, but I don't think that's going to cause us as a business um, too many headaches. When it comes to recruiting... Sorry, I sir. Say, well, I think clearly what's happened, there's been an inflation at every level. Uh, you get the ripple effect. So what we used to use as markers for particular performance for a listed mayor or a group two or a group three, they've all gone up because of scarcity and because it's harder and harder to try to get those mares. So that then pushes them, 
what's underneath that up. And to get a Saturday class med, you know, before you wouldn't dream of paying, you know, more than eighty thousand for those types. And now they're making hundreds of thousands. So that's the that's the real effect is it just inflates the market. But Scott and and John have always been active overseas buying mares and um, I think now there's a bit of copycatting of that too. There's a lot of others that are getting involved in doing that because they're trying to find ways of getting stakes horses onto the farm. Tell me about the appeal of those international uh, sales and those international horses. I, I know you, there's a there's a point where you, you're trying to complement what you have at home in terms of access to stallions and and the colonial sort of pedigrees. But when you go looking in France and the US, what are you looking for? The Scott is it as simple as a nice horse. Oh look, I think I think uh, I mean we our our broodmare band still is still seventy percent colonial, so it's not like we we buy everything from overseas. But the only thing that for the first thing is when you go to the states, you get volume, so you get a you know vast amount of mares that you can choose from. But it's far from straightforward. I mean, when you go to the states. You don't want those mares with the big long necks and, you know, the, the stains you go over there and you see in the 17 hands high and you know that they will not work down here. The other mares that you, you've got to steer away from are those short coupled, small feet, offset knees that just they don't work. So I don't think, you, when you go to America or you go to Europe, the rules are the same. You know, the, the types, you just want the... I, I certainly wouldn't go to Europe and want a dower pedigree because I, I just don't think they work. And um, when you go to the States... Uh, that list, you know, I think we've bought well every year from the States and it is just buying types and, and just making sure that you're over there. You are buying speed when you go to the States. You don't want to go over there and buy something that, that's, a, that's a, you know, that's a giraffe because it, it's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. So that's the rules that, that, you know, that we try and stick to and it's been fairly, fairly um, successful so far. And look, Australia's built on speed, isn't it? And it's no surprise we see the shuttle stallions that, that come out now. They're tending more that way as well. You know, Pinatubo and, and Blue Point that, are, that have been in the market. Suman, have you noticed a, a change in mentality from those uh, stallion farms that have been shuttling horses for a long time? You know, we don't, we don't see too many like Galileo out here anymore. It, it seems to have switched uh, full circle, well, 180 degrees at least, back towards the... Uh, the speed dial. Yeah, it's it's very much as I was alluding to before. Our industry is a fashion uh, industry, and it's a copycat industry. And sometimes there is a lack of originality in what we try to do. And we are way too harsh on some of these stallions um, and American stallions, I think, in general, because it's just that they've been high-profile stallions that some of them that have failed. So when that happens, it affects a lot of people and. They get this. They get besmirched a little bit, but we, you know, we have just as equally as many failures from domestic stallions that we have here. Uh, it's it's very narrow-minded, and I don't think we, as an industry, appreciate some of these bloodlines in Europe and and in and in North America, and the quality of the the blood that's there that we have access to. Um, you know, and and I think it's shown in the prices of the horses um, through the yearling sales, like. Domestic stallions always sell particularly well. Sometimes, even first season horses that are unproven, and some of the beautiful, well pedigreed um, American and European horses get neglected a little bit. But I guess that's the opportunity, and I'm happy to scoop them up if they're there. 
on on that point of opportunity, and I, I guess we've talked about some of the challenges that that are that are current from from your point of view. But what are some of the positives that that you both are noticing in the industry at the moment? Oh, look, I mean, I think I think it's, I mean, I, clearly, we're all going to say first thing is when you compare us around the world, our prize money is still, you know, that's that's we're we're still the best in the world, and um, you know, there's there's plenty to plenty of good young trainers coming through that are, that are obviously giving us more variety. Uh, and there's still plenty of new young farms that are, that are coming through and kicking goals. So I certainly, it's far from doom and gloom, um, yeah. and for my end. Yeah, and I, I think um, from, from my point of view, I agree with Scott, but also just some of the things that we're doing with transparency. Um, I know that from the FBAA's point of view, we're fighting really hard for transparency in the marketplace. And um, at the Gold Coast recently, um, you know, they introduced announcing um, of rigs, um, you know, to, to, the, to potential buyers. And I know for the farms, it was probably a bit of a change and something that they had to make an adjustment for. But in the end, the spirit of it is very good because you're trying to um, have an open marketplace for to give all the, as much information as you can um, to buyers. And anything that we can do that will present and make things more transparent and give people more confidence, that's a good thing. So I think that was uh, a really pleasing aspect um, that, that Magic's brought in. Mm. Gentlemen, it's been great chatting. I know it's a busy time of year, so I won't keep you much longer. But you're remiss of me to ask, Scott, in particular, what what can we expect from Milburn Creek for the remainder of the yearling sales season? Are there, are there any highlight horses that you've got coming up at any of the sales that... Uh, particularly excite you? East, East we've got uh, Magic Times Half Brother. Uh, we've got a good draft each. It's, it's solid. It's got a you know, good depth in the middle of it. We won't be copying the sale, but um, this, there's no doubt that, that Magic Times Half Brother will be something for us, uh, as in our own uh, band of mares to look forward to. In the future, further down the track, I think we've got the best uh, line of foals that I think I've ever saw on the property. Wow, that is saying something too, considering what's come off the property in uh, in its history. Simon, would you agree with that? Well, I know it's true because Scott and I talk pretty regularly, and um, uh, you know, for us, I think uh, a highlight would be we've got a lovely so you think uh, half three quarter sister to elliptical uh, that we're looking forward to sell at Easter, and she's a beautiful filly. She's grown out since we purchased her, and. Um, obviously having clients on the farm and, and knowing their bloodstock and the foals that we've got, the line, um, we have got a tremendous line of foals coming through. So touch wood, um, they'll all develop without um, too many hitches and we'll get there. Um, but at the, as we sit today, we couldn't be happier. Um, you know, there's a lot to look forward to at Melbourne. We think East is going to be quite solid what we've got. I look forward to having a look at the yearlings at Easter and as always, look forward to looking at any draft that Milburn Creek puts forward. Scott, Suman, thank you so much for your time today on the shortlist. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sharky. Cheers. Thank you. And thanks to all the listeners for joining us on this podcast. And remember, if you'd like to talk bloodstock with an expert, make sure you visit bloodstockagents.com.au and get in touch with an FBAA member.